Have you ever seen a mosquito and you think to yourself, right, I'm, f- I'm fucking dealing with this situation right now. Head it off at the pass before it gets bitey. So, bang, you smack that fucking mosquito. And then you see among the mosquito bits that it has burst and you've realised it's already too late because it was full of your own blood. How do you know, Jim, that it was your blood and not someone else's? Are you that intimately familiar with your own blood? Yeah, I can, ch- I can taste the burger fat on it. <coughs> ah, ah, of course, of course. <laughs> well, you can at least make an educated guess because in any, in any living situation I've ever been in in my life, I'm the one they gravitate to. Again, probably because of all the burger fat in their blood. They, they probably love that. So they go on me like... They, just, they come at me like a velvet nightmare, Laura. It's, it's, it's tremendous. Have, have you ever, ever heard that apparently mosquitoes really don't like Marmite? Apparently if you have Marmite, the mosquitoes will just leave you the fuck alone. Ah, oh, I quite like Marmite. Yeah. I'll have to smear it on myself. Just, just have a good Marmite, you know, roll, roll around in the Marmite, have a good slather, lick it off yourself if you get hungry, it'll be great. I'm going to have to do something. Like Mississippi is lousy with them at the best of times, but I moved at the top of the year to a place that I loved it initially until I realised it was like that scene in Peep Show where Jeremy moves into Superhands' house and he goes into a bedroom and it looks really, really nice until snakes start coming out from every nook and cranny. <laughs> this is what this place is like. It looks superficially great. It's got this nice 70s design I fell in love with, but that comes with all sorts of horrible problems, like the incompetent wiring that was uh, put into this place. I've complained about that before. It's also got these ancient from the 70s, so it's like a 1,000 years old, floor-based vents that are really big and and a a big standing room basement with just a a regular door that doesn't close properly. So anything that wants to come into this house can come into this house. Have have I ever told you about my incompetent wiring in my house? Mm Mm-mm. So we moved into our current place and on the day we moved in, like, we'd already signed the paperwork, we'd done the walk around, you know, and... As, as the estate agent's leaving, he goes, Oh, one more thing I should probably mention. Um, the, the, the light in the living room's currently not working. Just need a new bulb refuse or something. It's fine. It's fine. And walks out the door. So we try a new bulb. No dice. Check the fuse board. No dice. Contact the, uh, the letting agent. And they're like, Oh, we'll send, a, we'll send an electrician round. We spend eight months chasing them to send an electrician. And the electrician shows up and he goes... I've been in this fucking house before. We're like, oh God, what happened? He was like, I was here like four years ago for this light not working. It is a fucking mess. In order to get this light working, I would have to rip up every wall of your living room. Every single one. And spend weeks rewiring the entire room. This is a known problem that you have not been told about. It's a disaster clusterfuck. So we currently just have a living room filled with, like, way too many lamps. I should have told you about that. You need to get this problem up in front of an ombudsman. Oh, no, we just... Every time that they come to do a house inspection, we go, they say, is there anything wrong? And we go, you still haven't fixed our light. And it means that we just have a lot of leeway. If they're ever upset with us and try and kick us out, I'll go... We've not had a living room light for two years. Yeah, of course. Here is a list of every time we told you about that and you didn't fix it. So, uh, you sure you want to complain about whatever we're doing in here? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think so. I've got a laundry list of retorts based on this house to my own... Yeah, for the same reasons. Just unbelievable. 
It's a mess. But yeah, I got these standard, these floor-based vents that are massive coming right up from a basement where literally anything can get in. So I deal with Mississippi's wildlife on a regular basis, <laughs> including the mosquitoes that just, they've got a free pass in here. My feet alone currently have at least seven mosquito bites on them. And I cover myself in insect repellent and I spray this place like nobody's business. Jim, I think I think the problem's gotten worse. I think something large has managed to get into your place. I think, I think there's a sloth in the podcast. There might have, I think, right? I'm actually looking and I've just seen in the corner nestled among clothes <laughs> and newspaper cuttings. It's a, it's a fucking sloth over there. What on earth? Hello there. How are things? Oh, it's an Irish sloth. Oh, Mississippi is full of them. Ah, that's... Ir- Irish sloths are all right. Who are you, Irish sloth? I'm Casey. Yeah, you're, you're Casey what is what is on the internet in places and stuff. Yeah, I'm on, I'm, I'm on the internets. And today I am the replacement Gav... I guess. Yeah, we, we needed we needed something to, to wean us off of, you know. We're go- we're not gonna have any Irish flavour on the podcast for a while, so we needed, you know we needed a little buffer to, to keep us sane. Yeah. Uh Casey Explosion on Twitter. Um you've been mentioned on the Jimquisition a few times, friend of the show, Internet Sloth. Um you're part of I don't know if there's an official term for people that use Twitter the way you do, but I've been using the term Twitter essayist of people that just use the idea of threaded conversations to uh, put out a lot of interesting ideas. Um, I I saw I forget who did it, but there was one on a um, it wasn't you, it was someone else on Twitter did a whole thread on Olympic mascots mm. and the history the Olympic Games have with the various controversies associated with each game. Um, it's it's one of Three good things Twitter does. <laughs> Everything else is a horrible hellscape, but good Twitter essays, sex work, the best sex work is on Twitter, and my ability to post pictures of funny dildos. Those are the three good things on Twitter. <laughs> I found one today. I wasn't even looking for it. I was looking for a picture of Bonk from the video game series Bonk. And for some reason, Google thought, oh, when you just put Bonk in Twitter, do you mean Jizz Drinking Game 1999? <laughs> it's a big plastic, it's a big plastic purple cock. And I, I don't know, someone on I didn't look into it beyond that. I just saw it and thought, right, 1999, discounted from 2999. I'm gonna let Twitter know about this. That's a fucking bargain, that is. Yeah, someone suggested it might be like a Russian roulette type game, um, where maybe you hold it to your mouth and give it a squeeze, and if an ogres comes out, you pass it along, <laughs> uh, which would be interesting. I like to think it's something like Buckaroo, where you hang things off it, and then if you hang the wrong thing on it, it will just splaff off in your face, but. <laughs> Either way, for 19.99, I'm definitely not going to check it out. I've got better things to spend 20 bucks on. That's a good game on discount or decent mm. indie game. Yeah. You know, 20 bucks, that's nothing to sniff at. I wouldn't waste it on a jizz game. Oh, yeah, I mean, if jizz drinking game was on, like, Itch.io, yeah, <laughs> or Steam or something, yeah, 19.99, give it a go. But I just, I don't, if I'm spending upwards of 20 bucks on a plastic cock, I'm going to get one with a bit more functionality. Well... You say that. Do you want more functionality than this might jizz in me? That sounds like a lot of functionality that you would maybe want. I've 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 seen more fit for purpose jizzing fake dicks. Um, <laughs> for nineteen ninety nine, I don't think I'm actually going to get a good one. That's fair. That's fair. How's everyone's weeks been? What what we been? What we been doing this week? 
I think that's a good answer. Fuck all. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've I've been I've been not doing video games for a bit of the week. I watched that new Rocco's Modern Life on on Netflix. Oh, that was very good. Oh, that was delightful. It's it's real fucking good. Um, so at this point, if you like in any way, shape, or form care about Rocco's Modern Life, you probably even if you've not seen it, you probably know what the th- the the thing is with it. Um. I don't think knowing that ruins it in any way. I'd found out ahead of time, and yeah, it didn't affect it. As did I. If if anything, it encouraged me more to watch it. Same. Yeah, for for anyone who doesn't know Rocco's Modern Life, it was a series in the 90s that was basically three misfit cartoon animals... uh, Basically, they're a bit they're a bit weird but lovable, and they're just trying to get on with their life in a world where it's like, no, everyone should be uniform, and mega corporations fucking own everything, and everyone hates you for being an uh, individual who's honestly just harmless and wants to be nice. And it was very, very 90s, and I was a bit dubious of like, eh, how's, how's that going to play, you know, being brought back in, you know, the, 2010, the late 2010s? Yeah. And some of the humour in it is what I expected. Like, ooh, isn't there a lot of Starbucks now? Apple puts out a lot of phones. But I think they did a real good job of tackling the topic of being a little bit meta and talking about what it's like trying to bring back a beloved franchise when people don't necessarily know whether they want it to stay the same or modernise with the times, as well as telling a very modern story in a very tasteful way. Yeah. I think what I like about it was it a lot of it like I loved that sequence where they're going through and they're doing all of the obvious jokes mm. just because it fits with Rocco's Modern Life as a series which was never subtle. Yeah. I mean it had like under the radar subtle like adult jokes in it, but on the surface it was I mean it was probably the most um, overusing of common cartoon tropes like popping out eyes and screaming and like Hmm. his brain is popping out of his head because it's like every parody of an over-the-top cartoon Rocco's One Life always indulged in so it just being so upfront and unsubtle with a lot of that commentary worked because they did not try and change the style of humour at all. And they got it out the way quick. They were like, okay, this is the bit where we're going to do all the jokes that we need to do about how times have changed. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to do them here and they're done. Yeah, I mean, it was... And it, it just somehow just felt like it hadn't missed a beat. Like, you could see them trying to like re, like re bring back any old cartoon show and try and fully modernise it, fully... Um, like make it more serious or tone down some of the 90s stuff but it in many ways despite them doing a lot of new things and having a lot to say and doing it tastefully it really felt like this could have come out 20 years ago and I mean that in a good way in that no sense of pace no beat was lost in the 20 years since we last saw Rocco's Modern Life it's like they picked it up back where they left off with the exact same energy and the exact same sense of humour and it worked did you want to know anything Casey? yeah just thought it was an absolutely delightful show it was very um, wholesome is how I'd describe it I, I really enjoyed it and it was the kind of thing that I didn't know that I wanted Mm. But I definitely needed. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I totally get you. It's it's one of those things where, particularly with the topic that they focus on, it would have been so easy. Um, how ha- ha- how do I put this? Because it deals with a topic that is so modern and relevant, and the characters have been out of the loop for twenty years. 
it would have been so easy for the characters to be presented as behind the times and sort of make mean-spirited or out-of-touch jokes as a result. Yeah. And it was really nice that they avoided that low-hanging fruit and they just... They did humour around the topic that they centred around without ever feeling like they were punching down, yeah. which was really pleasant. I think it's also in- interesting that, you know... um, the three characters who have been in space and have missed two decades of bigotry and hatred, therefore unquestioning of what they'd seen at all and just accepted it because whereas, you know, Ed Bighead, who has been on Earth for 20 years of bigotry and hatred, is able to be, you know, react the way he reacts. Yeah, he's been around for 20 years of being told to be hateful. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Although, I mean, it's not even necessarily hate from him. It was just he couldn't handle the sheer, as he said in, a again, another gloriously unsubtle moment when he just yells, it's too much change. Yeah. Um, What a good fucking episode that was. What a great fucking show. Yeah. So not nearly so, like, you know, important necessarily, but I watched that Invader Zim reboot that Netflix also put out, like, this week. That was real fun. Yeah. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. It's... Netflix is like, here's a 90s show getting a 45 minute to an hour reboot. This week they've been really on point. I was shocked how good uh, Zim was. Yeah. It, it was really snappy and pacey and just a real fun watch. They didn't do anything as important or as 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 a modern touchstone as, as Rocco did, but it just hit all of the all of the right beats yeah. that the original show did and it felt I was actually kind of dreading it because I was like yeah. is this is this going like I used to love Zim absolutely obsessed so much of what used to make invader sim funny i think when i think back on invader sim i think back on it being very um lol so random mid-2000s humor yeah and as such i was a little like is this just gonna feel really dated but it it didn't it felt it still felt like the show that i remembered but it didn't feel like it was clinging to things that we've moved on from yeah I never really watched Invader Zim. It was a little after my time. Like, Rocco's Modern Life, Ren and Stimpy, like the 90s cartoons hmm. are the ones I'm more familiar with. I'd seen a couple episodes of Invader Zim. It looked good, but I just didn't get around to watching it. I would have liked to have watched it because I, I look, it seemed like the Netflix show was very good. The Netflix one works very well as a standalone thing. Like, all you really need to know is this kid knows that that's an alien and no one else has cottoned onto it. He's trying to stop this alien from very badly trying to do evil schemes. That's all you really need to know. Yeah, you can dive into it and not really know much and you'll get you'll have a good time. It, it is still an enjoyable watch. I always liked the voice of Zoom. Yeah. I've, I've heard the voice actor in quite a few games as well, but I always liked that ridiculous voice that Zim has. It is wonderful. So yeah, should we talk about some video games and things? We can. Yeah, because I've, I've done nothing else outside this week. I've been lying on a beanbag watching old wrestling shows. That's been my my week outside of games. Who wants to start us off on a video game? Have you got one this week, Jim? Uh, yeah, I can... Um, there's a one a lot of people are talking about this week. I had a lot of praise for it. i got to say, I don't see it. Uh, Remnant from the Ashes, mm. which is... Uh, I think a lot of people are liking it because it's yet another Souls-like and people love those. 
Um, it's got a bit of clout behind it, you know, Perfect World publishing it and whatnot. It's basically a third-person shooter with a lot of the 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 trappings of a Souls-like game. Um, you know, checkpoints that are basically bonfires, uh, stuff like that. Um, one of those games that more or less superficially copies a lot of Dark Souls stuff without mm. actually capturing the real spirit of it. Um, it's fine for the most part. It's it's clunky. It's stodgy. Of that sort of level of a like when we describe like a something that Focus Home Interactive's published or something oh, like that. Yeah. It's like that like what we could call the focus jank yeah it's got that to it the shooting's fine uh, the difficulty spikes are weird the bosses are the big problem the game over eggs the pudding it's one of those games that thinks to itself dark souls is hard let's be hard mm. and it doesn't quite understand what difficulty is so it's like well here's a boss the boss can kill you in two hits sometimes one hit it can inflict bleed on you. Also, let's surround that boss with an endless respawning bunch of minions that run up to you, yeah. explode, and can also poison you. It's like, pick one! Pick one or two! There are two things that I would never recommend people do with boss fights, which is don't do difficulty by sheer numbers, uh, like sheer damage, damage and health numbers, and don't do difficulty by... Hey, the thing that you find interesting to fight, there's a bunch of uninteresting stuff that's getting in your way. That's basically every boss I've seen so far. Um, yeah. I've been I've been with it quite a few hours, a lot of yesterday. Um, every boss so far has had minions surrounding yeah. it, like regular enemies, just getting in the way. You, you might have the occasional boss in a Dark Souls that does that, but most of them will be one-on-one -on -one fights. Yeah. And you'll usually have a fair amount of wiggle room to mess up, back away, recompose yourself, try again. Yeah, it's it's so off because sometimes you'll go through large chunks of the game and it'll be a breeze. And then you'll hit these weird enemies that just do so much damage and have like area of effect attacks. Uh, or you'll just be swamped by sheer numbers. And that seems to be the only difficulty the game understands mm. is the high damage or just overwhelm you with enemies. And it doesn't have anything else. No sense of tactical play yeah. whatsoever. And the weirdest thing about it is this game is a co-op shooter. Mm. It seems to have been designed with the idea that that's how most people should play it. And yet, the game is so much easier solo because the more players you have, the higher the enemy health is. And on top of that, the more minions spawn in boss fights and you get swamped. You get absolutely swarmed by like enemies. It's ridiculous. I fought one boss. We event we beat it, but it was so hard. Like I was getting knocked out by area of effect attacks. Someone would try and pick me up, but minions would attack them. By the time they got me up, an area of effect attack knocked them down, and it was just this constant like scramble Aww. to stay alive and popping off shots on the boss if you're lucky. I then went back and fought the boss solo and knocked it out in a couple hits and was only attacked by like two enemies, like two minion enemies at a time. The difficulty spike when the co-op ramps up is so extreme. It feels like they're gonna have to balance patch it or something because it it, it cannot be the way they intended that game to play. Mm. And if they did, I don't know what they were thinking. Where the co-op shooter is 
a lot less fun when you play it co-op because it's not fun. This is not fun difficulty. You know, I beat a boss in Dark Souls. I feel elated. I feel, yes, I killed the fucker. With this, I just, once it's done, I just deflate and just, well, that sucked. Onward I go. And that's not what you want to leave your players feeling. You want them to feel like they've, you know, scaled a mountain and they're triumphant in victory, not, oh, well, that was a horrible time I just had. I'm glad I don't have to do that now. And that's that's the issue with it. And and outside of that, it's just a, it's just an okay shooter with some interesting, you know, accoutrements added by the Dark Souls copying. Hell, the bosses are even behind fog doors. <laughs> that's uh. that's where they go with that. Um, but yeah, it's. It's a shame. I want to like it. I'm still playing it. Mm. I'm trying to like it, but it's one of those games that fights my attempts to like it every step of the way. You know what game you just reminded me is coming out in like a month and I really hope is is fun? The Surge 2. The Surge 2 I had a lot of fun with with the uh, with the demo for, but uh, I was thinking Code Vein, Ooh. which is oh, that very, uh, yeah. very anime looking one. That's what I'm looking forward to. I forgot about that. Yeah, it's coming out in, I think it's, uh, let me have a look. 27th of September? So that's like a month away. Both that and The Surge 2 are coming out like within a week of each other. And that's... Uh... God, when when is, the, when is The Surge 2? I think it's next month as well. Yeah, it's like earlier September. Sometime mid-September. Yeah, early to mid-September. Wow. Yeah, I... I wasn't excited for The Surge 2 until um, I got sent like a, a preview build for it and it was like four hours long to power through the preview build and I was like, that's a, that's a good sign that you're confident in this. And I I ended up like, I ended up putting a good six or seven hours into this demo and being like, yeah, this feels a lot less janky than the first one did. Like, I, I'm actually excited for The Surge 2, which I didn't... I did not think would happen because I never thought they'd get a sequel after that first one. I quite enjoyed the surge. I wanted to enjoy it. It had, again, it's that thing that Jim was mentioning a minute ago. The focus jank. It had the focus jank. Like, it had some quite bland, repetitive corridor environments. Yeah. And the combat felt really sort of sluggish and clunky in places. It it didn't feel. You had to you had to fight to find the fun in it, and I found fun in it. But it was one of those games that like I couldn't recommend without heavy caveats, mm. and I feel a lot less caveats at recommending the Surge Tube so far, which is nice. Yeah, everything you told me about it made me pretty interested because I had the same thing. Like I, mm. I thought to like the Surge, I did enjoy a lot of the Surge, but I didn't, I I didn't get through it. I eventually was just like, mm, I've got to move on. This isn't it's. It's not quite giving me enough fun to be worth the effort, but I'm quite excited about The Surge 2 because everything you've um, talked about on the show before seems to be very much like Dragon Quest Builders 2, where it's like mm. most of the issues I have have been addressed, which I always like to see in a sequel. Like if you look at a game like State of Decay 2, where they just did another one, despite State of Decay being a good game, but with many, again, many caveats. Mm. Um, and State of Decay 2 just replicated all of the issues as well as the good points. And I'm like, this is a dismayingly unnecessary sequel if you're not going to fix things that are clearly in need of fixing. Um, so when I see a sequel, especially to a game with a bit of that jank and, and quite a few caveats, you've got to address them. Otherwise, you're just repeating the same mistakes and there's no real excuse for it. Uh, so I'm very happy to uh, hear that about The Surge 2. And I should yeah. be in line for a review copy early September. So I'm kind of looking forward to that one. Yeah. 
Did uh, Casey, did you end up finishing the original The Surge? I didn't. The reason I ask that is, like, I know a lot of people who, when asked about The Surge, are like, oh yeah, I enjoyed The Surge. Yeah, but didn't stick with it. I don't know if I've ever met a person who finished it. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that's really weird about The Surge. It wouldn't surprise me. It, it does seem... At least it was certainly my experience, but it seems like it would be a common experience for a lot of people to like play the first hour or so and be like, oh, this is quite good, and then just lose steam with it when it, they realise that this is the level it's going to stick with for the rest of the experience. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And that's probably part of what inspired them to really fix those issues, if, if that was a common story where a lot of people were like, oh, I quite liked it, didn't get through it. Well... Something that I would add there is that when I was playing it, I was playing it with the DLC, the theme park DLC. Oh, yes. And that was really, really enjoyable. And I think what some other people have said is that that theme park, where that sticks into the main storyline, it kind of breaks up the monotonous kind of corridors and industrial stuff mm-hmm. with something a bit different. There's different kinds of enemies and, and weaponry and that was really nice. I, I can see how that would really make a difference to the flow of that game. Like, I saw the adverts for that DLC and was like, that looks great. I didn't know where in the game it was based and whether I would have to finish the game to get to it and I was kind of like, I don't really feel like finishing the game to see when the game gets interesting. Yeah. That that, that was the thing about it is it's like oh you do have interesting ideas of what to do with this you just didn't put them in the base game uh i'm excited for for code vein though i i i, I have hopes for that one I've, I've had a lot of fun every time i've i've uh, had a chance to play it same i haven't played it but it looks really interesting yeah and i think what's what's going to be what's going to cinch it for me is if it has nice level design i i've not seen enough level design to know whether it is consistent, but what I have seen has been enjoyable. Yeah, what have, I, what have I played this week? I can tell you the main thing I've been playing this week, because I'm fucking playing it while we're recording this podcast, because it's one of those days. I've gotten really fucking deep into an, a Yu-Gi-Oh! video game on Switch, because I am a terrible, terrible addict for uh, trading card games. So back back in my teen years, I used to be really into, into Yu-Gi-Oh!, which is... One of them card games, it's based on an anime in which they played the card game. It's like, oh, i got to do card games to save the world and whatnot. That anime used to infuriate me. What what infuriated you about it, Jim? I'd, I used to watch... I'd watch random episodes of it whenever it was on, like, whatever show it was on, Children's Channel or whatever. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Whenever it would appear, every now and then I'd catch it on TV while hopping through channels, and I'd stop and watch it. And the fact that the card game's rules seemed made up on the spot to fit whatever needed to happen at the time used to piss me off. So, yeah, I love that show, but I will acknowledge that they break the rules of the card game arbitrarily and uh, they they very, 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 very heavily rely in the show on... Aha! The one card that can do the thing I need, I have drawn! There's a lot of that. Yeah, I'm just like, this is nonsense. I can't trust what this show is telling me. As an adult, I will not stand for it. I will campaign to have this show banned (laughs) for misrepresenting what card games are like. So, here's the thing. It was close enough to the card game that as a kid, I picked up the card game and was like, Oh, this is like 95% the same thing. Aspirational feelings of, oh, I'm being like the guy on the show that I like. Um, there was a lot of that. So I was real into this card game. 
and for various reasons I ended up not playing it from about the, uh, the, the sort of late 2000s and a decade later I know that I cannot let myself get back into a trading card game economy because I cannot spend the kind of money that is required to do that mm. on bits of paper or digital microtransactions. Like, I, I know how much those cards cost. There is a smartphone app version of Yu-Gi-Oh! where, oh my god, it is so fucking full of microtransactions, I would never recommend anyone fucking touch it. More like Yu-Gi-Oh! the banker load of money after you've spent it all on Yu-Gi-Oh! Ha 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 uh, <laughs> so they released a game on Switch this week and it is a single purchase packaged game <gasps> with no microtransactions. <gasps> Just all of the cards are there and you unlock them by playing card games to get more in-game currency to unlock more cards. No way. You you play the game. You play the game. And the content in the game is in the game when you play the game that you bought. Yeah. Whoa. And there is no spending additional money to have more cards than someone else. You just have to play the game. It's sad that I'm impressed by that. I know, right? Like that shouldn't be impressive. There is a bit of me that fears that the rug's gonna get that they're gonna do a fucking crash team racing or some shit. I mean, yeah, get you invested in the system and then then bear the fangs. I'm I'm hopeful that won't happen happen because this game did come out like a year ago in japan and on ps4 and they've not added microtransactions to like the other ports or in other regions that have been out a lot longer so i have some hope that maybe this is legit and it's just here is a card game unlock cards and make decks and play cards and i'm having a lot of fun with it Oh, cool. I really enjoy the mechanics of this card game. It's doing a good job of teaching me the rules so I can remember how to fucking play it. I'm unlocking cards at a really sort of nice pacey pace so that I always feel like I'm getting something for playing. It's really scratching that itch that things like opening booster packs would do, but without any ability for me to go down a financial rabbit hole for that. Good. Good. Like, that's how it should be. Like, if you want endorphin rushes and, and the thrill of the game, that should come from the game you bought. You know what it keeps reminding me of? You know in Yoshi's Crafted World, there were those fucking gacha machines to unlock outfits? Yeah. And it was, play the game to have a random chance to get a nice thing and then keep playing the game. And that little nice feeling you got of like, oh, a gold thing came out of the machine. It's that. Good. It's that it's that randomized feeling without my money being on the line. That's how it should be. Yeah. I got a question. I got a question about Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, yeah. When when the little boy with the spiky hair, right? Yeah. Turned into the tall man with the spiky hair. Yeah. Did that make him better at playing cards? Did that make him better at playing the children's card game? Uh yes. Do you wanna know why that made him better at playing the children's card game? Oh, Oh, can I guess? I might know this. Have a guess. Go for it. Is it because the little boy turned into an Egyptian pharaoh who was really good <laughs> at children's card games? Well, sort of. You've, you've half got it. So the reason why this pharaoh is good at playing children's card games is the children's card game was actually based 
on a war that happened between the Egyptian pharaohs, <laughs> and he was one of he was one of the pharaohs that used magic to summon these real monsters out of these big stone tablets. And because of that, he knows how to play the card game. What is based on the war he was on and can't remember. Brilliant. Yeah. When I say children's card game, by the way, I'm not doing that just to diminish anyone who likes Yu-Gi-Oh. I just I, I love the idea of you having to become a tall, spiky head man to play the children's card game. Yeah. Yeah. That, that there is one point where the two of them split into two separate physical people naturally and the child has to has to fight his big self to decide whether the big one will go through a portal back to ancient egypt it was quite a fucking show i honestly think a resurrected egyptian pharaoh would have better things to do ah uh, it 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 was a thing there was a whole character whose whole point was i'm a rich ceo but I, I want to be the best at card games. So I'm going to make like a jet shaped like a dragon and fly around the world challenging people to card games because <laughs> that's what I want my multi-billion dollar company to be. Good. That sounds like something that Jeff Bezos would do. He's gotten mm. bored feasting on cockroaches and lizards and <laughs> whatever else he's doing. And he just thinks, do you know what? I want to be the very best at this children's card game. So yeah, why not? I I honestly think that that Jeff Bezos would become the the villain of Yu Gi Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. What about you, Casey? What have you been playing recently? I have been seriously enjoying Octopath Traveler because that got released on the PC uh, recently. That was a big surprise. Mm. Yeah. How how deep into it are you currently? I haven't... I'm in Primrose's uh, story. I haven't collected all of the Octopath Travelers yet. Mm. So what I'm playing so far is positively delightful. Mm. And the soundtrack is gorgeous. It is sumptuous. It's just... Mm. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's the second battle theme, not not the one you'd currently have, but when regular battles um, happen in like the second arc of people's stories, I fucking love that. Ooh. It's got a great soundtrack. And nothing, nothing else about the game is is bad, but the soundtrack is just so good. Oh, it's it's oh, I'm elated just thinking about it i can't remember did you did you enjoy this one jim oh yeah it was um in the jimquisition awards for that year it was a game of the year for me i i still feel like i'm really in a minority and not enjoying this i i just couldn't get on with trying to balance that many storylines like my brain just wanted to play one story and then the next and then the next and that's definitely not how that game wants to be played Mm. yeah it's technically possible but you'd have to grind a shitload to make that happen from what i remember because mm. the the level requirements for the next versions of character stories end up getting pretty steep which is fine if you're cycling through them sequentially but yeah if you want to go for one track i think it's technically possible it's just unlikely and i understand that that's fair enough yeah um, how is that? How is that PC port? Has it been? Has it been fairly decent? It's fine. Um, I know some people have complained that it runs de novo, but I've had no issues at all. So I'm delighted with it. I'm glad we're finally getting to a place where JRPGs are coming to PC more often. Because mm. I don't know what it is about that genre that just for decades we never got them on PC. I think it's um, Japanese games in general were not like. The Japanese market for quite some time didn't see p 
PC is relevant. Yeah, just did not embrace that market, especially last generation. Um, and this generation, the market seems to be coming around more, so we are seeing uh, PC become more of a more of an expected version as well. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see. Good to see. I think when when it first started to see JRPGs on the PC, they. It's, yeah. They had some shitty ports. Mm. Yeah. Well, this is why I always ask when I hear someone's been playing one on PC. I'm like, was it was it was it passable? Was it okay? Because I remember the first like I used to play JRPGs back in my PlayStation days. Loved Breath of Fire three, mm. and when I started to see some PC ports of of um, JRPGs, it was stuff that just completely boggled my brain and I didn't I didn't get into them so for example like um The Last Remnant oh yeah I was very excited to play that because I hadn't played anything JRPG related since the PS1 era and all that battle system just <laughs> yeah that's too much fiddling for me I did not get very far with that at all yeah there was a weird era on PC where your best bet if you wanted to play a JRPG on PC was to run a console emulator and try and emulate an old console JRPG. Yeah. Like, that was a weird era for that genre. Mm. But now we're getting more back into the kind of the kind of classic turn-based gameplay. And I like that. Yeah. It's nice we're getting more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, else, what else has been played this week? Um... I I finished that Dragon Quest Builders 2, uh, like 80 hours in. Oh, wow. Are you still playing that, Jim, or have you uh, moved on from it? I've moved on for now. Um, Grandia come out, and I decided this uh, time I'm actually going to finish Grandia. No worries, we'll get to that in a sec then. I, I, what I will say, you know, a couple of weeks ago I had my grumbles about the third island in Dragon Quest Builders 2. I was like, they railroad you into a story thing, I really don't like it. Proper pissed me off. Yeah. Now that i finished the game, I don't mind so much. Um, I still think it was a really shitty plot contrivance that was just completely pointless. But the way they stick the landing on their ending means that, like, I still think that it was bad narrative and mechanical design, but I'm no longer upset that they did it. I'm okay with the fact that it happened because of where the story ends up, so... If you're anyone who started playing that game because I was very excited about it for a few weeks and then got put off when I was like, ooh, ooh, that really... Mm, ooh, not liking where I'm at now. Push through. It's not great, but pu- but push through and you will enjoy it. Like, the ending's good and it, it makes up for the kind of shitty Belt Island 3. Cool! So... I, I'm no longer... I, I finished the game and I no longer am, like, actively annoyed at it. I very much enjoyed that game's ending and I still have stuff I want to do and I think that game is real charming and oh, I good. very much have enjoyed building my little island over countless hours. Oh, good. They did well with that. Yeah. That's delightful. Uh... How have you been getting on with uh, Grandia, Jim? Oh, I've got more than two hours in this time. Ooh. Oh, yes. I've got a history with this game. I, I mentioned it in a Jim Impressions I did on it. Um, Grandia is a game I will happily start, <laughs> but I never I never follow through on starting it. Like, I, the first time I ever played it, I think I didn't even get to the, the first ruins area. I don't know why. I think it's because, even though it's a really fun game, the 3D modelling at the time was something Grandia showed the hell off about. Mm. to the point where it got in the way of the games. It's like they've got these 3D modelled houses 
for these um, sprite characters to go through. And they'll put doors on different sides of the houses all around town to force you to move that camera. And I hate doing that because there's no map. So I just get lost in a town the moment I switch the camera around because now north is east or whatever. I'm, I'm getting over that more with this time around because this time I'm like, before I even touch Grandia 2 on this new HD collection will come out, I'm getting through Grandia. Uh, so now I'm about 12, 13 hours in and loving it. It's, even though the, the graphics, the, not the graphics so much as the developers showing off with the graphics gets in the way sometimes. And playing it on a big TV is not recommended, at least for the first one, because the, the way the camera moves and judders as it does is almost enough to give you a migraine. Um, on a small screen, if you're playing it on Switch like I am, it's not a problem. But if you play it on a big like TV, it can really like mess with your eyes. But we were talking earlier about turn-based battles and everything. Everyone talks about the battle system in Grandia, and for good reason, it's excellent. Uh, the whole idea of sort of an active time battle system with a ticker in the corner that has character icons move across it so you know who's next up, and you can change that order by attacking enemies to stall them or using certain moves if you time it just right while they're attacking, you can cancel their attacks entirely. And it's so complex when you describe it, but when you play it, it's so simple. It's just, oh, the enemy icon is this far along in the bar. So I'll just hit them with the attack that stalls them. Uh, and then that'll let another character of mine race ahead of them. Uh, so it's almost like you're conducting a little race in the corner while you're battling on screen at the same time. But it's so intuitive and it's so quick. Uh, there is a reason why people say it's got one of the best battle systems ever. And it's weird that other JRPGs never ripped it off uh, to any major degree. Um, you look at what Square Enix does these days with modern Final Fantasy games where Square Enix seems so self-conscious about being old-fashioned it will reinvent the wheel with every Final Fantasy game that comes out now. To the point where, as much as I like Final Fantasy XV, sometimes that combat system just seems like a weird vague mess as they just tried to make it look as real-timey as possible uh, while still having party control and commands. So the whole thing's just a bit of a weird mess and Final Fantasy VII looks like it might follow that, the remake follow, looks like it might follow suit. And I'm like, dude, if you need uh, to have a fresh feeling, excellent battle system, Grandia's over there with a the system going begging because no one really copied it. And you could at least like, take inspiration from that because that gives you a sense of things all happening at once, happening in real time when it's not really, while adding this active time battle system that just works so well. And on top of that, um, it's not just the battle system. Like, it's really nicely written. The, the story is, again, there's that word that was used earlier, wholesome for Rocco's Mom Life. That word applies to Grandia so well. It's ultimately, even though there's, like, you know, antagonists and evil brewing, much of the story is just a bunch of kids having an adventure just to have an adventure. And that's just really nice to see. So, yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, the, the remasters are really bare bones, but... As it came out on Switch, obviously I was going to get it. And I don't feel all that bothered by uh, the fact that it wasn't given a massive upgrade. Uh, it's just good old-fashioned Grandia. And I'm really liking it. And now I might actually get through and do this one and get on to Grandia 2 after decades. Oh, it's nice when games don't try and reinvent the wheel when they're updating themselves. Like, um, for example, I was... I was absolutely delighted that I got Onimusha 
on the PC, and I need to go back and finish that. Oh, such a good game. Oh, it's it's fantastic. I love it. But um, the the whole remaster didn't didn't try and completely remake the game or anything. It's just it's just the game. It's slightly fiddled with the controls to make it a little bit more accessible to modern audiences. But it's just you know. PS2 era survival horror game and I love it. It's just one of those games that didn't need much fiddling with. A little um, controlled streamlining, a bit of a visual lick of paint just to make it look all nice in HD and that's all you need because the rest of their game plays so well, still plays so well. Um, and I hope it did well enough for them to want to do Onimusha 2 because that one is a masterpiece. I'll, I'll buy it. Oh, it's it's so good. And Onimusha 3 was really good as well. That's the one with the Jean Renault in it. Jean Renault. Mm. Yeah, love me a bit of Jean Renault. Although, I was very disappointed when it came out and um, the localization only had his face. Didn't have his voice. Oh. At least in the Europe version. I'm not sure what other versions were like, but I was in the UK at the time. And it was just some random American voice actor just doing his lines. It was strange. I was very let down by that. That must have been very jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... Uh, the other thing you've been playing this week, Jim, is is Rad, which is that one about being a mutant that Double Fine, I think, put out? Yeah, uh, Namco Bandai published Double Fine worked on it. I was really looking forward to it. Yeah. Because I like me a good roguelike, and I'm a big fan of The Binding of Isaac in particular, and this idea that upgrades in Rad... Mm-hmm are mutations that affect gameplay. Yeah. Reminded me of Isaac. I was excited for it mainly because somehow Biomutant's still not out and I want a game about being a mutant. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to Biomutant. Um, but yeah, this was... Uh, it's not great. Yeah. It's fine. It just it doesn't control very well. Um, you feel a little sluggish and the combat's just unsatisfying. Like, you start out with a baseball bat and you just run up to enemies and just smack them. And there's this little delay after each swing. And you can dodge through that and there's you, you get a rhythm down when you just... If you're fighting, a, like, a boss or something, smack, roll, smack, roll, smack, roll. And you get into a rhythm of it, but it's a, it's a clipped rhythm because there's this... This pause between every action that just makes it feel a little stoppy startly, a little stuttered. And I'm struggling to get into it. I've played a couple runs, but I don't feel all that outside of, you know, possibly capturing footage and to do a video on it and, you know, playing a bit more for a critical reason. Mm. And even then, I'm not even sure if I'm going to bother because it's just, it, it's not looking like it's worth it. it. It doesn't look like it may even be interesting enough, which is a shame because I, I downloaded that before I got on Remnant. I was like, that was the game I was looking forward to trying on release day. And Remnant, I just picked up on a lark because I saw so many people on Twitter talking about it. So I'm like, well, this looks like it's got something going for it. So both my game purchases yesterday that I was going to do and was looking forward to trying, both kind of disappointing. It's been, a outside of Grandia, it's been a bit of a disappointing week. Grandia's eight, like a thousand years old. So yeah, the new stuff of late, no, thanks. It's, mm, that's a shame. Yeah, neither of them terrible, just not inspiring me to keep playing them, which is a shame. Just rad, just everything about it just feels just a little bit cheap, a little bit, not bare bones, but half-baked, shall we say. Uh, just feels just that little bit, not even focus jank, just uh, disappointing jank. Uh, Double Fine in general, I find kind of a mixed bag. Double Fine are such a strange studio. Mm. At their peak, 
I have loved some of their stuff, but they're super inconsistent. Um, last time I remember getting really excited about them was when, uh, what was it? Uh, what was their, their point and click adventure game that was split into two halves? Uh, Broken Age. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Broken Age. Broken Age Act 1, I thought was phenomenal. Broken Age 2, I really couldn't stand. Like, that is the tipping point where I really fell off Double Fine. Mm-hmm. And I've just not really had any huge passion for anything they've done since. Headlander was fantastic. Headlander was alright, yeah. I forget about that. I don't know why I forget that was Double Fine. They've always got an imagination. Yeah. I can't fault them for how imaginative and inventive their ideas are. They seem like a studio full of ideas. It's just sometimes when it comes to executing the ideas, they don't quite do what's needed to bring them to life. Perhaps, but I, I will I will absolutely go to bat for Headlander because that surprised the absolute hell out of me. That was fun as hell. Yeah, that 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 is that is a, one of their ideas that the execution was pretty good on. Mm. It's like a Metroidvania where you're a flying head and you rip the head off other robots and just land into their into their neck hole and ride them around like uh, you know like you're taking taking their bodies for a joyride and it's it's fun. It it does what it says on the tin. You land your head. It's got a good sense of humour to it as well, Headlander. It does. And a really great soundtrack. I'm, I'm yeah. banging on about soundtracks, but that was something else. No, 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 you're you're right. Like, the more you talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, Headlander was good, and I don't know why I always forget that that's double fine. It seems to be a, a bit of a forgotten gem, and it was only out a couple of years ago, but, like, it seemed to go fly, fly the little head super under the radar. It was amazing. Mm. It was pretty good. I think the only other thing I've I've played this week is I went back and replayed uh, Super Hot on Switch. Ooh. Oh, I've been thinking of getting that again. Yeah, it's the kind of game that because of its super short level structure, you can just jump in and out of in short bursts. Mm. In in that kind of way that I really like doing on Switch, it runs really nicely in handheld mode. So I'm I'm glad I picked it back up. That's great. That was another Jimquisition Award winner. Yeah, was Super Hot. I bloody loved that game. One of the most innovative shooters I've played in. Years. Yes, I, I I tend to think it's one of the most innovative shooters I've played in years. <laughs> uh, I I didn't play it. I missed out on that. Oh, if you play it, you'll think that it's one of the most innovative shooters you've played in years. You will think it's one of the most innovative shooters you've played in years. I tend to find that. Yeah, <laughs> I will probably pick it up at some point, but yeah. I'd say it will be probably one of the most innovative shooters I've played in whenever. Oh, no doubt, probably. <laughs> Probably, and I'm just going out on a limb here. Yeah, yeah. Probably one of the most innovative shooters I've played in years, and that's just <laughs> that's just me saying that, you know. Yeah, just just you saying that. That's good. <laughs> just, just, I'm just putting that idea out there. Yeah. Um, what a great <laughs> game, though. I I think I might take the excuse now that it's on Switch to just play it again. It's it's a real good shooter for people who don't like real-time first-person shooters because it plays so much more like a strategic puzzle game. Yeah, definitely. It's because because of its whole, you know, you can take your time to work out how you're going to get through these encounters. Yeah. It works for people who don't have the response speed for doing these things in real time and then it gives you a cool replay to go, oh yeah, I was a badass. It works the other way around as well because when it comes to like strategy and puzzling, it's not my best thing. I, I play 
very few puzzle games. I only play really unique puzzle games that offer something new because mm. I'm I'm not clever in any way, shape, or form. Um, so when it comes to strategy and puzzles, I, I I'm often out of my depth just because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Mm. But because of the FPS trappings. It's a presentation of strategy and puzzle that I really, really got into. Yeah. So if you're not into FPSs, but you, you love puzzles, it, it works. But if you love FPSs and you don't like puzzles so much, it still works the other way around. It's, it's a great middle ground. Definitely. Something else that I played this week, Skullgirls. Oh. And I got my ass handed to me. By Sonic Fox, and it was one of the best uh, gaming experiences I've had recently. Heck, did did you just randomly end up in a online match with them or something? No, a friend was doing a charity stream, and I asked Sonic if he'd like. They were playing um, Skullgirls, so I was I was helping out with the charity stream, and I asked Sonic Fox, "Hey, we're playing some Skullgirls. Do you want to come in and?" Uh... And he did. It was fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Was that Lottie's stream? That was Lottie's stream, so. Ah, oh, that sounds real fun. Heck. Oh, he's 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 really awesome. But to play against him is like Oh, he is he is on the completely unfathomable level of of fighting game playing. Yeah. It's something else entirely. I've watched enough of him playing fighting games to be like, I, I just don't have the brain for these beautiful amazing things he can do mm. it's it's mind-blowing i i got one hit in on him <laughs> and i was amazed that i did that because oh my god oh yeah that that sounds like an achievement in and of itself if you landed a hit on him i think that counts as you winning you won the fight you touched him i reckon it'd be hilarious <laughs> I'm, I'm grinning ear to ear just thinking about it <laughs> it would be hilarious if i went up against any pro fighting game player because i'd get I wouldn't be able to land a hit in on anyone who's even moderately good at them. I can only imagine with how quick that fight would be over. I should do that as a series. I should tour the globe getting into <laughs> fighting game fights with professional players. And the challenge is just to see how long I can stay alive. How's about this? We, we, we do a thing. I'll, I'll coach you on the game and try and build you up as much as you can. And you've got to see if you can last 30 <laughs> seconds. See if I can coach you to survive for 30 seconds. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. <laughs> Uh, a couple of quick bits of newsy stuff we had this week. Microsoft continues to bring its smaller, sort of um, less graphically demanding games that were exclusives to Switch. Uh, Ori and the Blind Forest is getting a Switch port. Oh, yes. Which is in there now with, like, what? Minecraft, Super Lucky's Tale, Hellblade. I'm sure there's some other things that... I think there are, but... Yeah. Yeah, those are the big ones. Yeah, it's, it is surprising, the fact that these keep keep happening. Like, I would honestly put money on, at this point on the fact that we will probably see Rare Replay get ported to Switch at some point. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if sometime around when Banjo comes to Smash, we see Rare Replay on Switch. It really seems like Microsoft are just, like, yeah, they're not a direct competitor with what we're doing. Sure, let people have these games on handheld. Yeah, it's by far the wisest move Microsoft's been making of late is mm. opening up its platform and its games to other systems. Mm. Um, them having their, their games appear on Steam is also a savvy move. Yeah. Um, as well as sort of the idea of Game Pass and Xbox Live being uh, broadened to other platforms. Uh, it's It's the best thing they've done. I think in terms of like 
public perception, it's done something really interesting where my my guess is that it's probably we're, we're probably seeing these games on Switch but not on PS4 because Microsoft doesn't see Nintendo as a, a direct competitor. But from the outside, I suspect there's probably a lot of people that look at this and go, oh, Microsoft's not opposed to bringing their games to other things, but Sony's not interested. Oh, they don't, they won't want it. They didn't want cross-play. I mean, that always helps. It's furthering this image thing that, like, Microsoft has been really pushing, particularly around the, the whole discussion of cross-play the last couple of years, of, hey, look, we're happy to work with people. We're working with Nintendo. PlayStation are the ones holding the games industry back. Oh, no, not them. Yeah, which is funny considering how this generation started with the whole yeah. Xbox One DRM shit. Mm. They've, they've really turned around their image in the the lead up to next gen to present themselves as the people who are focused on making things better for everyone who plays games. Mm. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how committed they are to that. Yeah. Uh, right now, it's all very well for them, you know, not on top of the mountain, as it were, when it comes to the so-called console wars. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next gen and how committed they are to it. But right now, I mean, it's just such a smart if it makes them look good it makes their competitors look not so good well exactly it's crossplay uh it's bringing games to switch it's the accessible disability related controllers they've been doing yes that's also great they've really been pushing to go hey support us if you want a future where everyone plays together and everyone gets involved it gets their games and services out in front of so many more potential people um, it's a rare move in the game industry where it's something that's wholly benefiting the company but is also benefiting the customers yeah what a weird situation again yeah. it's sad that that should be so amazing but it is it really is hmm. um we also saw some gameplay for Death Stranding. Your character can can pee. Yeah, Norman Peters. Yeah, Norman Peters. <laughs> um, if, if you fall off a cliff, you have to rock your baby back to sleep. Naturally. Uh, Jeff Keighley's in it. He's a he's a hologram ghost. Yeah. I I still don't fully understand what this game is. You're tethered to stillborn ghost babies. It's a game that is going to get mass critical acclaim. Be hailed as a classic. About two weeks later we'll see the editorial saying it's not that good yeah but i'm looking forward to it i really i i've got no reason right now to suspect that it will not be a good bonkers game from hideo kojima i i am excited for it i have no clue what it is but that doesn't really bother me yeah i'm excited for whatever the fuck it is he's got a track record of uh pulling it out <laughs> pulling out the stops to where i, I yeah yeah yeah. I'm just going to stop because I said pulling it out. So I realise anything I say after that's a moot point. <laughs> something, something, Norman Reedus' <laughs> penis, which you won't actually see. Yeah, he shifts his body around so you can't see his dick. Where's the free speech warriors there? <laughs> Why aren't we, where's, where's, where are the cries of censorship here? I want to see Norman Reedus' little dinkus. I want to see Norman Reedus' Norman penis. Yep. <laughs> I want to see his Norman Reedus' Norman penis, Norman penis. Yep, all of those things. <laughs> Norman Reedus, penis, penis. Penis Reedus, please. Please us. Please us with Reedus's penis. <laughs> um, and that Avengers game looks all right in footage. Yeah, it looks, looks fine. It looks like the, 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 the Avengers fight different to each other, which is what I was hoping for. I do like that they've incorporated quite, like, that, that demo showed, like, Iron Man doing some flying and shooting, 
Um, the Incredible Hulk doing some wall running, a little environmental traversal, um, some beat em up style combat with Thor and Hulk and, and some more shooty combat with Black Widow. And it all looked coherent and cohesive, like it all belonged in the same game, which is something that's hard to nail. Obviously, one would have to play it manually to really figure that out, but it looks right now like it's kind of got a fluid flow to it and the switch between characters as part of the story is interesting. So, yeah, it looks pretty good to me. It looks fun so far. It's just their promise of supporting it for years yeah. left a sour taste because I'm just... It just leaves me waiting for that penny to drop, you know? I want a game I can pick up and play through and the whole game is there when I want to play it. <laughs> yes, more in, you know, more Marvel Spider-Man, less yeah. any other game. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, has anyone got anyone anything else they want to talk about before we finish up? I think I'm good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could talk more about watching mosquitoes explode in a shower of my own blood, but I don't think that's what anyone's here for. That's a good start to the spooky season. <laughs> I just fucking hate mosquitoes. No point to them. No, there is a point to them. How else do they get the blood out? <laughs> ah, that seems like a good place to wrap that's up. Good, good ending point. Um... KC! Yes? Is there anything you'd like to tell the people to look at on the internet for you and stuff? Um, well, as Jim mentioned, I'm at KC Explosion on Twitter. I have... It's it's the same everywhere. My Twitch account. I'm trying to, trying to build my Twitch up a bit. So pop by KC Explosion on Twitch. And I do write a few things sometimes on Medium. And it's on KC Explosion on there as well. Excellent. And I sometimes swing by when, when Casey catches me when I'm still at the computer and not busy. I sometimes swing by those streams. So definitely check those out. Same here. They are good streams. Very good streamings. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Very much like Norman Reedus. Very excellent stream. <laughs> and Laura, stuff on the internet, what people can look at for you, please. Me, Laura K. Buzz. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's what pays the bills. LauraKBuzz.com. Uh, you can now get the audiobook of Uncomfortable Labels. It is available on laurakbuzzstore.com. If you want to get that for half price, uh, if you support me on Patreon and then send me a message through Patreon going, hey, I'm a Patreon backer, I want a discount code, I will give you a discount code for that uh, for that audiobook. Uh, otherwise, you can get the physical book. That's out now. You can get uh, Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, hopefully sometime in the next couple of months. There is Dice Funk. It's a Dungeons & Dragons podcast I'm on. There is Pixel Squirt, where I review video game pornography once a week with the ladies from Geek Remix. There is Tonal Whiplash, where I interview people and do silly and serious questions alternating back and forth. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I do silly skits and voices with my fiance Jane. I think that's it. Okay. What about you, Jim? Um, same old, same old, you know. Well, we did the, the this week's Jimquisition was talking about epic again, but this time sort of talking about misplaced anger and where it should be placed if you are angry about the situation. You know, look at the systems they're all these companies are playing in, not just the companies themselves, especially when it comes to indie devs, just they're trying to survive. It's come a bit of slack. They're just trying to make it out there like all of us saps, so, you know... We're all we're all private parts to the corporations who play with us for their sports, so we cut them a bit of slack. 
And other than that, I would say, again, if you can get to Alabama or if you're in Alabama, uh, September 13th, I'm returning to Pro South Wrestling. That'll be at the Pro South Arena. Um, September 13th, uh, I may or may not be defending the YouTube Championship there. Uh, we will see how I feel because <laughs> I'm under no moral, ethical, professional obligation to defend my belt. So, you know, maybe they'll make it interesting for me. We will see. But I will generously show Piedmont, Alabama, my glorious gold-plated face once more. How lucky for them. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Casey, for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.